I want to speak today about a, or on a subject that I actually have never approached in a sermon from the inception of this group. It's a knotty issue in the church today, and any of those who would depart from the Hebrew calendar in the church are looked upon as those calendar people by others who have clung to the Hebrew calendar. So it is a subject that has created a great deal of difficulty uh, in the church, uh, understanding and misunderstanding and confusion, really. <clears throat> I've been attempting to write a calendar booklet for some time, and uh, as other things have come up, it's been a learning curve of uh, some time, several years, in fact, all the way back to 96 when I really began to look into it, or 97. And there were elements of it that were not understood by even what were termed calendar people. And most calendar people still yet today don't understand some of the very basics about God's calendar. And what about the Jews? <clears throat> were they given authority or were they not given authority? Uh, some even calendar people think that God whispered a calendar in Moses' ear and that uh, the Jews have had authority ever since. Is that so? Is it true? Now let's ask a basic question or make a basic statement and then some questions. Uh, this is from the beginning of a booklet that I have started and because I was learning something else possibly I even put it off again here recently but uh, we've had quite a few requests lately for information about the calendar and I got thinking this might be a good time to actually give a sermon on it since I have never even done so, even though we're some of those calendar people. <clears throat> because people do want to know, and especially this year, most of those who are part of the Church of God have already kept Passover. And we are essentially a month later than they. And it may even vary a day or two or three, depending on different people's calendar I mean, a month plus a day or two or three, depending upon their understanding of postponements and this and that and the other thing. But basically, all anyone really wants to know is when does God want us to keep his feasts? I think I can make that statement, and everyone in the Church of God essentially would agree with it. <clears throat> We'd really like to know when God wants us to keep them. And after that, it gets more confusing. That's about the the spot where agreement ends, it seems, in the Church of God today. Now Christ, in the Scriptures, is indicated as one who has a simplicity, the simplicity that is in Christ. If that is the case, why is a calculated Hebrew calendar so complicated? Why do you have to almost be a scholar to calculate and understand the calendar? And why is there so much confusion among those who claim to have the biblical calendar? Are the Jews missing something? Is the church missing something? Or the church is? Are they missing something? And I'm not going in this paper or this sermon today to try to give you a simple Bible solution. But I do want to introduce some information that most people, including calendar people, have overlooked that will help us understand why we currently have this complicated mess and 
better understanding of how to deal with it. Uh, how do we deal with the mess we have? And it is a mess, otherwise there wouldn't be so many uh, different viewpoints or ways of approaching it. Of course, each group that approaches it think they have the one and only God's calendar. And yet there are so many. And how much can there how can there how can they all be right? Um, on the other hand, if you take the position I am the only one that's right, and no one else is, then you're okay. But this this subject takes a lot of twists and turns. Each one claims to have the true, sacred, perfect Bible calendar. But let me ask you some questions, <clears throat> and these are questions that are confusing. Just when is the new moon? There are a lot of different ideas on that. Is it the first crescent or the conjunction? There's a lot of confusion on that question. If it is the first crescent, is it the one from Jerusalem or Joplin? Where do you see the first crescent? Because in different latitudes, different longitudes, it will be seen at a different time depending on where you happen to be standing. Some people think they need to observe it from Jerusalem. Other people think that it's local observation. I know some people like that. And if you use local observation, when that new moon first appears, it can be a day or two different <clears throat> depending on where you are on the face of the earth. And therefore, if you try to do a worldwide work and you're using local observation, which some insist is the only way to go, then you're going to have, in one organization, people keeping the feasts and the Passover and so on on different days, even within one organization. If it is the, uh, let's see, we covered Crescent. If it is the conjunction, then is it the astronomical junction or just as the moon disappears like a setting sun? Some people believe it's the instant when there is a conjunction of sun, moon, and earth. Others believe that as soon as the moon disappears, even though there's not an actual conjunction yet, that, you, that the sunset sets the tone. And therefore, since the new day begins when the sun disappears, then that the conjunction of the moon is when the moon first disappears, not when it's lined up actually. So there are a lot of ways looking at it. Uh, when is a bit? Do we figure it from the ripe barley in Israel? What does the barley have to do with it? <clears throat> and they even in Israel, they have people who grow barley in greenhouses so that they can cause the barley to be ripe when they want it to ripen. Now, is that fair? <laughs> is that right? And does the barley ultimately have anything to do with it? Now, it, it, does, have, it does play a part. What about the spring equinox? If the equinox is the key to the change in the season, and we start figuring the first month in the spring, do you use the new moon nearest the equinox or always the one after the equinox? This is another big question, and it's the question that needs to be answered in terms of this year, in fact, whether this was a 13-month year and we keep Passover a month later than most, or are they correct in selecting the new moon before the equinox, which the Jews did and which many parts of the church did this year. 
So which is it? Did God whisper a sacred calendar in Moses' ear? Now, I want to make a statement here, which I think is fairly apparent. But Herbert Armstrong saw things wrong with the Jewish calendar. I think everyone in the church needs to face that issue. He did not wholesale accept the Hebrew calculated calendar. Didn't do it. Now, what did he see that was wrong? He saw that the fixed date for Pentecost on Sivan 6 was wrong, that it had to be from uh, the first Sabbath during, or the weekly Sabbath during the Days of Unleavened Bread. And he made that change so that Pentecost always would fall on Sunday or Monday. <laughs> he saw Sivan 6 was wrong as a fixed date. It could be any day of the week. And then he thought because of uh, the way of counting that it could be Monday, and we kept the Monday Pentecost for decades. Then he saw that that method of counting was wrong and changed it to Sunday, which I believe to be correct. Uh, the Jews keep Passover on the 15th. He recognized that that was a problem because the Bible said the 14th. So he made that change from the 15th to the 14th, even though the Jews to this day still keep it on the 15th, if they understand when the 15th is because they postpone days. Now, is that logical and legal? If they don't like the day of the week that the moon and the new moon hit, they simply postpone it a day or two. Can you do that? Another question. Now, these problems that Mr. Armstrong saw in the Jewish, Jewish observance are there. And, in fact, we found that even beyond those that he recognized, there are more problems. Were these just misunderstandings of Scripture, or are they symptoms of other underlying problems in the way the calendar is reckoned? Why does the whole thing seem so complicated? Your head's probably already swimming from the questions I've been asking. Well, what about this, 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 and that? Now, we here probably understand a lot of it because I have talked about it some in Bible study and so on, but never given a sermon to essentially explain the basics of it. Yet it can seem complicated, but everyone that presents you a calendar of their making, they say that it's the one simple, easy way to do it. <coughs> now, I'm here to tell you that there are some intrinsic problems with the heavenly cycles with which we are confronted. Let's notice some of those. We have a 365 and a quarter day year equally divisible by nothing. We have a moon whose cycle varies, its average cycle being roughly 29 and a half days. Sometimes a new moon will appear after 29 days, sometimes after 30 days. This complicates things, because if you're going by observance from Jerusalem, as the Jews did, you wouldn't know for sure whether it would appear on the 29th or the 30th day. You could guess, but you didn't know. Also, in the church, we've looked to the 19-year cycle, and there is an approximate 19-year cycle, but it is not exact. There is no I'm sorry, there is no 19-year cycle. 
There's no such thing. It misses by a few hours every 19 years. This causes the calendar to slowly drift out of season. Not much per year, but slowly it is drifting out. The Jews recognize that. They don't know what to do about it. The Jews themselves do not feel that they have the authority to make calendar adjustments without a Sanhedrin. They're going about trying to establish a Sanhedrin as we speak today. So we, the church, have always proclaimed that the Jews had the authority, but the Jews themselves claim they don't have authority unless they have a Sanhedrin. So there's some confusion there. We claim for them something they don't even claim for themselves, at least under their present circumstance. So, with the year being an uneven number of days, the moon cycle varying, in the 19-year cycle not actually existing, how do you figure something that will come out even and work right? I submit to you there is confusion there. Now what does this cause? <clears throat> You've got unequal, unbalanced, heavenly cycles that demand intercalating an extra month some years because the lunar year is about 354 days, the solar year is about 365 days. So nothing comes out equal. So what do the Jews do? They add an extra month in seven out of every 19 years to try to account for a 365 and a quarter day year, which doesn't come out equally. And even though they add that intercalary year, or 13th month, every, every seven years out of 19, their calendar is still drifting because it is not an exact measurement of time. And over a period of thousands of years, it will drift completely out of season. Now, God told us that there's a season and a particular month for his holy days to be in. So they're alarmed that it's drifting out of season. On the other hand, the way they do their calendar, they sometimes keep the Feast of Tabernacles in the summer rather than the fall, as I'll show you the Bible demands. So they're already keeping out of season some, in spite of the fact that they're alarmed that the whole thing's going to drift out and that the first month's eventually going to be in July or, you know, wherever, but not in April. <clears throat> now, God is not the author of confusion. Is the confusion over the calendar something God would create? I think that's a question we need to ask ourselves. Now, he wants us, surely, to keep his festivals at their properly appointed times. Then why isn't it simple? Why can't you figure it easily? And why is there this much confusion? Now, I think to begin to unravel this, we have to start at the beginning. That's something Herbert Armstrong told us time after time. Always go back to Genesis. What was God's original intent? What did God really do? Whether it was the creation of man, whether it was the establishment of the weekly cycle, whether it was marriage and the ways and rules of marriage, it is always advisable to go back to God's original intent because 
human life has not always gone according to God's original intent, and man's record on this earth has led to confusion. And sometimes God has interpolated confusion on us because of our disobedience to him. We create the confusion, and after we do, God confuses us more. I'll show you that. Now, we've got to understand the past and understand the future. Those are both keys to understanding what God originally intended with the calendar. Now let's look first at what God has done in the past, then later we'll address what he is going to do in the future, and it is going to make this a lot clearer. And this is an area that I think most of the so-called calendar people and the Jews have overlooked, something they do not understand. And without understanding the past and the future, you cannot understand the present. Okay? Now, let's go to Genesis 1. Genesis 1. Good place to find God's original intent. And here I want to read to you verse 31. Now, he's been doing creating here in creation week. And in verse 31, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Now, when God some, creates something very good, and he can look at it and say it's very good, then it must be straightforward, fairly simple, and make sense. Now, we look at the 365 and a quarter day situation today and the variation between 29 and 30 days of the moon cycle and some of the aberrations we see in the heavens, and I can't say that that's very good. I say it's very confusing. It doesn't fit together. It doesn't work very well. It isn't simple, but I'm here to tell you it was. When God made it, it was very good. It was in order. It was not confusion. Couldn't have been. Now, the answer to this very good is that God created a perfect heavenly cycle, which you would expect of him, wouldn't you? And it included, as I'll show you, a 360-day year. Now, you and I in the church over the decades have heard it referred to or have heard referred to a prophetic year of 360 days. That's been known in the church for a long, long time. The prophetic year is 360 days. And I never really understood why we have a 365 and a quarter day year, and yet the church would say, and some scholars will say, that the prophetic year is 360 days. Now, I understand from looking at some of the scriptures that indicate uh, 360 we do have, don't we, a globe that has 360 degrees. Uh, where did that come from? Directions consist of 360 degrees. It goes back a long time. <clears throat> they were based upon a 360-day year, not a 365 and a quarter. <laughs> you know, do you have a 363 and a half degrees? 
No, doesn't happen that way. Let's go to uh, Genesis 7. Genesis 7. I want to show you something here. Genesis 7 and verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day where all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. Now let's go to uh, chapter 8, verse 4. And the ark rested in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, upon the mountains of Ararat. Now look back to Genesis 7, verse 24. The waters prevailed upon the earth a hundred and fifty days. So the time it's, from the time it started in the second month, 17th day of the month, until it ended on the seventh month, the 17th day of the month, we have a total of five 30-day months, second month, seventh month, five 30-day months equal to 150 days. You cannot have that with a 365 and a quarter day year. The moon uh, cycles of 29 and 30 days that we have today will not allow that to happen. This comes out equal. So this is a proof text, these three verses put together, that shows that in that time you had 30 days or of uh, five 30-day five months that added up to 150 days. So, if you had a calendar of 12 30-day months, you would have a 360-day year. That makes everything simple. You don't have to intercalate. You don't have to have a 13th uh, month. You don't have to observe or calculate whether you'll have a 29 or a 30-day lunar cycle. You simply count to 30, and you got a new month. You do that 12 times and you got a year. It was that simple. Now that is order. There was no calendar confusion. Counting time and festivals was simple. You had four seasons. They were divided equally, 90 days each. And you didn't have to wonder when the equinoxes and the solstices would be. The four seasons were perfectly equal, 90 and 90 is 180, and two times that, four seasons, is 360. All right, what you had then was the, everything was equal. And I checked with some people in an astronomical magazine of repute. Uh, and someone had asked the question, well, if you had perfectly equal time in a 360-day year with 12, with 30-day months, would the sun earn an sun, moon, and earth be on the same plane, would you therefore have an eclipse? And the answer was, yes, you would. So every 30 days, like clockwork, you had a total eclipse. That wasn't hard to figure. <laughs> they were on the same plane, so every 30 days, everything worked out. So there was a, I mean, you had the sun, moon, and earth all lined up on the same plane with a conjunction that occurred at sundown every 30 days. How simple could it get? 30-day months, 12 of them is a year.
Now, I submit to you that we're going to go back to that. God before, or at least by the day that the Great Tribulation starts, we will again have a 360-day calendar, a 360-day year, if you will. And I think that I can prove that in Scripture, but let's not go there quite yet. We're examining history first. But there you had a complete, perfect, godly, or if you will, if you will a sacred calendar. <clears throat> but it was entirely in the heavens. Let's go to Genesis 1 again. And here I want verse 14. He's in the midst here of creating the earth and the things on the earth and in the heavens. And the evening and the morning were the third day, verse 13. There are those who would say that the day begins at sunrise, not at sunset. But look at the cycle that God started here. He doesn't say the morning and the evening were one day. He says the evening and the morning. repeats it over and over and over each day of creation. And that was the cycle he established, evening and morning, or the, day, the dark period and the light period, starting with the dark period. So there are those who will tell you that that is not so, but that's what Genesis 1 says. What was God's original intent? Sunset to sunset. Okay, verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, or between the day and the, between the night, as my Hebrew says. So those lights in the firmament were to designate when days and nights are, or when a day was. And the evening, or the dark part, and the light part constituted a whole day, or 24-hour period of time. So first of all, the sun, the moon, and the earth confirm when a day is, and how long it lasts. And let them be, all right, he put lights in the firmament, and here is what he states is the purpose of those, okay? Here's the reason. Let them be for signs, or signals. Those heavenly bodies were put there, the sun and the moon, as signs or signals. Signals for what? For seasons and for days and years. They were there to count time. They were there, if you will, as a calendar. Now the word seasons here in the Hebrew is moeds, which means holy days. Let them be for signals for holy, to calculate holy days and for days and years. It doesn't say months specifically, but it has to include months because the moeds are, are supposed to come in certain months. So if you're to determine the moeds or the feasts of God, you have to know days, you have to know months, and you have to know years. When the year starts, when it begins, when the month starts, when it begins, when the day starts, when the day ends. And with those, you have a calendar. Now, people will tell you there is no calendar in the Bible. Now, is that correct? Is there a calendar in the Bible? No, there is not. They're correct. The calendar is not in the Bible. The calendar is in the heavens. The Bible refers to the calendar, but we must understand that the calendar is in the heavens. Now, this becomes important when we get down to barley. 
Does it say anything about barley here in calculating times and seasons and days and months? No, it does not. It says the clock's in the heaven, or the heavens. That's where it is. Now Moses, or God, referred to with Moses the time of the barley. And he told them in the month that you came out of Egypt. So he was establishing with them that the, the new year begins in the spring when they came out of Egypt. But lest there be confusion about when they came out of Egypt, he says at the time when the barley ripens. Now that doesn't make the barley ripening important to keeping the calendar cycle. All God was explaining there is that that's the time of the year when the year begins, is when the barley ripens. But the barley or anything on this earth has nothing to do with calendar calculation or, or calendar observance. It is clear right here that it is the heavenly bodies that are used as a calendar. Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and the night. In Psalm 76, I think it's 13 and 14, talk about how they are there also for the seasons. <clears throat> so, let's get away from the idea right off the bat that there's anything on the earth that affects the calendar. If we understand that from Genesis 1.14, it's going to make this whole thing much simpler. Let's see, I've got some of this written out here in booklet form. I'll skip down. All right, let's, let's, uh, here's an axiom. Days, months, and years are all that were needed to keep the festivals instituted later on the correct days. If you're going to determine when God's festivals are, you've you got to know that there's a year. <clears throat> you've got to know the first month, seventh month, and so on. You've got to know which month they come in. And then you've got to know which day of the month they come on. That's essentially all there is to it. The confusion comes in determining uh, the months and the, se the seasons, the months, and the days. Now, God gave us a seven-day week, didn't he? And that doesn't fit mathematically on a 30-day calendar. So we have a different cycle for the week. Uh, there is no evidence that I've ever seen that indicates that that's ever been tampered with. But you have a 30-day month, or did have originally, when God had created it, and you had a seven-day week. Four of those is equal to 28 days. And that doesn't even fit the monthly cycle of 29 to 30 days that we have today with the moon. So God intended that to be different. We keep the weekly Sabbath from that. But as far as determining months and then days of the months, we use the heavenly clock. Now let's understand when creation occurred. I think we can. When was the first day of creation? There have been arguments about that. Some say, well, it must have made the creation in the fall when crops were ripe. Others said it must have been in the spring where God says the year begins. What would be the truth on that? Well, the first day of creation 
would have been the first day that God began to create habitation for mankind. And that first day of creation is when he established the week and time as we know it. Before that, there was no time as we know it. Because he says, he made the, he-, he made the sun, he made the moon, he made the stars during that week. And if he made them during that week, then they, as a clock or a timekeeper, never existed before. So the first day of creation would have had to have been the first day of the first month of the first year of man's experience on earth. Even though man was not created until the end of the week, or almost the end of the week, uh, that would have been when God set in order the creation. So I think that makes it simple. It had to have been in the spring because you would have had the equinox and the new moon same time, first day of creation. Everything was done decently and in order, 1 Corinthians 14.40. God is not the author of confusion. So time as we know it could not begin till the keepers of time, the sun, moon, and earth, the stars were set in orbit and light was created. I'm going to show you in a little bit that the calendar problems we have today are not something God originally created, but something that is our fault. It's our fault that we have this calendar problem. All right. Let's see if we can understand how to calculate or how to know when the new moon and the new year is as closely as is possible with everything out of order. When it all started, first day of creation was the spring equinox. That was the first day, first month, new year. Had to be. Couldn't be anything else. It got changed at some time from a 12 month, 30 day, or 12, 12 month year with 30 days. Now it varies. Observance of the new moon is very iffy. It will produce different days depending on how far north, south, east, or west you are. That's a problem. So on a worldwide basis, if you live near Jerusalem, uh, you could observe it. And if it happened to be a 29-day month, They immediately built bonfires to let people in the outlying areas know, yes, we saw the first crescent at Jerusalem. But what about when people were scattered all over the earth? You can't see a bonfire on the other side of the earth. And it doesn't make sense on a practical basis. Now with modern communication, uh, by email or by telephone, someone observed it in Jerusalem. Uh, It could be gotten around the world in a matter of seconds. But not then. Couldn't do that. What about people that lived in various places of the earth? How did they know? Or did they go by local observance and you had people all over the earth keeping it at a different time? Originally, Garden of Eden, from there on, until it was changed, didn't need to calculate anything. You had a total eclipse once a month. Boom. Count to 30, you knew when it would be. Let's understand how, first of all here, the heavenly calendar works. I have here... This is the simplest thing that I know of as an an analogy to show. That's a big clock up there. That's all it is. Or 
I've got a watch here. That is a clock. All right. I want to know when it's 12 o'clock. How do I determine that by looking at this watch? All right, I've got an hour hand here, and it goes round and round, one hour at a time until it points to 12. When that hour hand points to 12, can I say it's 12 o'clock? No, can't do it. That's just one signal that is 12 o'clock. I've got to wait for another signal. So I watch the minute hand. I've got the hour hand on 12. Now the minute hand has to go around until it reaches 12. Now I've got the hour hand on 12. I've got the minute on hand on 12. That's two signals that it's 12 o'clock. Can I declare it's 12 o'clock now? Can't do it, can I? Now I've got to watch the second hand. That's the third signal that it's 12 o'clock. So I've got the, got the hour hand, the minute hand. Now as soon as that second hand comes around and hits 12, Eureka, it's 12 o'clock. Three signals. Can't happen before that. Now the calendar in the heavens worked that way perfectly from its inception in Genesis 1. Time would go on. You would have the first signal there could be a new year, the equinox, because it has to be in the spring first month. As soon as that equinox hit, then you had to wait for the new moon. But it came at exactly the same time. Then you had to wait for sundown. But it came at exactly the same time. So all three signals came at the exact same moment. So you had the equinox, the new moon, and sundown occurring at the same time, and therefore you could declare the first month or the first day, or the first month of the new year. Now, things have changed since then. That was God's original creation, and that was God's original intent. But now, I can't follow it in that same way. They don't happen simultaneously. Now, the equinox comes first, like the hour hand. The new moon comes second, like the minute hand. And sundown comes third, like the second hand. But God's original intent was that those three signals would determine first day of first month of the new year. Now, I cannot go with God's original intent today because I don't have a 360-day year with 12 30-day months. It does not exist. So our job today is not to produce a perfect calendar since there is not a perfect cycle. Our job today is to get as near to God's original intent as we possibly can. Does that make sense? Get as close to what God originally intended as you can. Now, in life, don't we have to do the same thing? God gave them a perfect creation, a Garden of Eden. He gave them everything they needed for life. He gave them instruction how to live. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the way of life he intended Adam and Eve to live is the way of life he intends us to live today. But it's difficult, nay, it is impossible under present circumstances to get back to that. We cannot be totally innocent because of human nature 
and the various problems that that created once they partook of that tree in the garden. We can't run around naked. We cannot have perfect food because our nature, our lust, our vanity, our greed, our jealousy, our envy, all of these things that are bad are a part of us. So we can't recreate the Garden of Eden, can we? Nor can we recreate a perfect calendar because the conditions that were there for a perfect calendar no longer exist. All we can do is get as close to God's original intent as possible. There are three signals in the heavenly clock, just like there are three signals on a clock on the wall here on the earth. Equinox, new moon, sunset. The closest we can do is to get those three signals in order. So, if I today want to determine, and I have to every year, when the new year begins, what do I do? I look for the spring equinox. Once we determine when that is, you look to see when the next signal comes. That would be a new moon. Then you wait for the third signal. That would be sundown because you have to have fully equal days. Now what about taking the new moon nearest the equinox as the Jews and as many people in the church who are calendar people do? Will that work? No, it will not. And here is the reason. I want you to go to Exodus 34, verse 22. Here is a scripture that regulates when the Feast of Tabernacles can come. Exodus 34, 22. This is a pivotal scripture. You shall observe the Feast of Weeks of the first fruits of wheat harvest, that's Pentecost, and the Feast of Ingathering at the year's end. Well, you don't keep the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost at the year's end, obviously, uh, because it's stated to be 50 days after uh, the Sabbath during the Days of Unleavened Bread, the weekly Sabbath. Now, year's end here, uh, as translated in the old King James language, is a very bad translation. Uh, my margin says in the Hebrew, the Feast of Ingathering at the Revolution of the year. Uh, the word in the Hebrew here is tekafa, T-E-Q-U-F-A-H. And the word tekafa means revolution or end of cycle. Well, what cycle ends near the Feast of Tabernacles? Seasonal change. That's, you have four of those revolutions of the year throughout the year. Spring and the fall equinox, the winter and the spring solstices are the three seasons, as God originally set up. He says in Psalm 76, he creates the summer and the winter, in other words, the seasons. So the Feast of, of Ingathering has to be at the end of the cycle of the seasons. Not before it, but at the end of it. Now, here's the problem with the calendar based on that scripture. If you take the new moon nearest the spring equinox, the one nearest, whether it's before or after, as the new moon you start to calculate the first month from. 
some years, you will begin the Feast of Tabernacles in the summer and complete it in the fall. If that new moon before the spring equinox hits just right, you will keep the Feast of Tabernacles entirely in the summer, not in the fall, which this scripture requires. However, if you always and consistently use the new moon after the spring equinox, the Feast of Tabernacles will always fall at the end of the revolution or cycle after the fall equinox. So it will be in the correct season. It will always do that. Not only that, is a signal a signal? In other words, if the equinox is a signal and you start before the signal comes, can that work? Now it creates where you a situation where you have to uh, mechanically or maybe that's not the exact right word for it, you have to determine yourself when to intercalate a 13-month year. Because you're flopping back and forth, you're not being consistent. Now, if you consistently take the new moon after the spring equinox, you will not have to ever determine when to intercalate a 13th month because you are following a consistent pattern, and the 13th month will always declare itself. It's not something you have to artificially, that's the word I need, determine and put in the calendar. You will simply have a 13-month year, about 7 out of 19 years. The, Jew, the Jews have got an artificial system where they just put it at certain times in a 19-year cycle, which is drifting out of season. But the, the heavens themselves will declare it. Isn't that what the psalm says? The heavens declare, and they do. We have to be consistent. If the equinox is a signal, then a signal is a signal. What, what if you are running a race, and they have the starter's gun? That's a signal you can start. What if you jump the gun and start the race before the signal? They call it a false start. Everybody has to come back and start over. You've got to wait for the signal. Otherwise, you have an unfair advantage. And the same is true of what God put in the heavens. You've got to wait for the signals to be in order. That's, it's that simple. So really, the process is fairly simple. Equinox, new moon, sundown. First month, or first day of first month of the new year. Wait for the right season, wait for the new moon, new month, wait for sundown, everything's in line. Now it's not perfect, because the heavens are not perfect, and therefore you will have a 13-month year sometimes to try to, oops, dropping my microphone here, to try to keep track, I guess it's still plugged in. Now Why? Do we have this? Why don't we still have a 360-day year? Why don't we still have a 30-day month? Why don't we have an eclipse every 30 days? I think the reason for that is this. Every time mankind has egregiously sinned before God, God has made man's life more difficult. A few examples. 
Adam and Eve were created in a beautiful garden, perfect seasons, perfect weather, perfect food, perfect everything. God had provided everything they needed in perfect harmony. What did mankind do? Adam and Eve immediately sinned, turned from God, came to know good and evil, came to understand things that God did not intend them to understand that are evil. They didn't need to know that. But they did. So what did he do? He booted them out of the garden. Then he says, you'll work by the sweat of your brow. and You'll have briars and brambles and thorns, and the dominion I gave you over the creation will be greatly uh, inhibited. We don't have that kind of domination anymore, or dominion. All right? Man continued in the direction that Adam and Eve had started, and by the end of about a thousand years, mankind had become so corrupt that God decided, I'm just going to wipe them out. Well, wait a minute, there's Noah. <laughs> Noah saved our bacon. Well, we're unclean. <laughs> but God basically made man's life much more difficult at the flood, didn't he? In fact, most of them drowned. That's pretty difficult to live under those conditions. So because of sin, God depleted us. Only saved eight because of Noah's righteousness to continue with mankind. So we began to multiply after the flood, came to the Tower of Babel, decided, all right, we'll build a tower to heaven, we'll take over God's throne. Satan was behind that because that's always been his goal, to take over God's throne. So what happened? They all had one language at that time. And they could communicate easily and exchange technology and so on. And God said they really would have gone clear to his throne if he hadn't intervened. So what did he do? He made their life more difficult. He confused their languages. That created divisions and men scattered all over the earth because of language. So it appears at almost every juncture where man has sinned terribly, God has made life far more difficult for us. Now I submit to you that... Israel, in its history, rarely followed God's ways. In fact, they generally went their own way, and the way of Satan and Baal and false gods. Now, God threatened in the prophecies to make their life more difficult through famine, disease, uh, pestilence, warfare, captivity, and in fact, ultimately did. In fact, Israel and Judah have gone into captivity at different times through history, and what does that do? Because of sin, their lives became far more difficult. They would either be killed, diseased, or go into captivity. That makes life more difficult. Now, in the days of Hezekiah, I believe at this point, is when God changed from a 360-day year to a 365 and a quarter and messed things up for us. Because Israel had sinned terribly, Hezekiah had sinned terribly. You'll find the account in, in, uh, yeah, in Isaiah 38. And uh, it's back in Samuel or Kings as well. But Isaiah 38 is where we'll go here. Here, Hezekiah had showed the king of Assyria everything, temple treasures, all the things of God and everything in his house. God wasn't happy with it. God said, I'll have all your sons castrated and become your eunuchs in Babylon. And this man was so hardened that he says, well, that's okay. I won't be here in my rule. I don't care if my sons get castrated as uh, long as it doesn't happen in my day. 
Hezekiah had been obedient to God in some respects, but then uh, he had some attitudes that weren't right either. And he was going to die. But, oh God, please don't let me die. So God added 15 years to his life. And the sign of that would be, verse 8 of Isaiah 38, Behold, I will bring again the shadow of the degrees at 360 degrees, uh, which has gone down in the sundial of Ahaz 10 degrees backward. So the sun returned 10 degrees, by which degrees it was gone down. Didn't, didn't move it forward. Hezekiah says, you know, anybody could move the sun forward 10 degrees. Move it back. That'd be harder. Clocks don't run very well backward, do they? I mean, just using human logic, it's easier to turn a clock forward than it is backward. It, it kind of messes things up when you turn it back. Well, I think it kind of messed things up <laughs> to turn it back. Emmanuel Velikovsky has a book entitled Worlds in Collision. Uh, that went around the college back in the late 50s, early 60s. It was certainly uh, almost required reading in the mid-60s when I was in college. And uh, in that book, Velikovsky states that the calendars all around the world changed, that they had had a balanced 360-day calendar up to that point. And the Mayans, the Chinese, the Israelites, everybody had to deal with it because the calendar changed there. Now, he says it, it made two or three adjustments in that general period of time and wound up at 365 and a quarter, which is, as I stated at the beginning, divisible by nothing. No, nothing is a perfect cycle, and therefore it created problems. Now, in Isaiah 1, God says, I hate your feasts. I hate your appointed times. God did not like the way Israel was keeping the feasts. I don't think the calendar had changed in Isaiah 1. It was later on in Isaiah 38, further downstream, when he actually changed it. But it was the observance that was the problem, not necessarily the times they were doing it. But because they would not observe it, and they were disobeying and not worshiping God in the right way, he even changed the calendar so that they couldn't keep the holy days at the times that God had originally intended he made it confusing. If anybody tells you it's simple today, they're wrong. It is confusing. And you cannot, if you don't have a perfect heavenly cycle, you cannot have a perfect heavenly calendar. God's original intent was very good. And now it is very confusing. So if you want to know where the simplicity in Christ is, it is when Christ created the heavens under his Father's auspices. And the simplicity in Christ went away because of the complications and sin of man. So it is our fault that the heavens are the way they are today. Not God's. All you and I can do is get back as close to the original intent as we can. Now, let's examine some things. If we need to know the three signals to know the spring of the year, first is the equinox, then New moon, then sundown, right? Those three signals are the three signals, three keys of the heavenly timepiece or watch. When's the equinox? Got to answer that. That came up even this year because uh, of the definition of equinox. Now, originally, equinox meant everything was equal, everything was totally in cycle, the equinox is defined by that time when the sun is directly over the equator. That is the definition of the equinox. Now, originally, 
that happened every 360 days in the springtime when the and well in the fall as well when the earth would go back and forth creating the seasons 180 days every 180 days you had an equinox fall or spring it was perfect now we have an equinox that is difficult in one sense to determine if you don't understand what the equinox originally was. The time the sun is directly over the, equa over the equator is a specific moment in time, and that is the primary uh, definition of equinox. Now, because of the change in the cycles, you do not have equal time all the way around the Earth. It varies. And since it is variable, it's hard to determine the equinox or impossible by that. For instance, this year, the sun passed over the equator on March 21st. And the way the calendar is right now, it'll be the 20th or the 21st in this particular period. Now, it has been as early as the 17th, 18th, 19th, thousands of years ago because the heavens have have changed. That's what Jews are worried about, is the calendar cycle. That's changed. But this year, if you looked at the times and the minutes of sundown around the earth, they were actually closer to equal on March 17th than they were on March 21st by a few minutes. You had a few places that were exactly equal. You had a few places that were a minute or two or three or four different from being 12 hours of sunlight and seven hours of or 12 hours of darkness. Uh, it, it varied as much as three, four minutes. I didn't check everywhere on Earth, but I saw those that were there. So then you fast forward to March 21st, when the sun actually did go over the equator, and it wasn't quite as equal. It was four, five, six minutes difference from place to place on the Earth. But here's the point. There was no such thing this year, or is there any year, where times are exactly equal under our 365-day and a quarter-day year. It just doesn't happen that way. So what is the constant? What was God's original intent? What was, if you will, the signal? The signal was when the sun was directly over the equator. And under the 360-day year, it would have been equal time everywhere, different hours, but the same minutes. 12 hours of sunlight, sun, 12 hours of darkness, everywhere on Earth would have been that way. No, not 12 hours, because it varies from north to south, excuse me. But it wouldn't the, the same minutes. You got 24 hours in, in the cycle, so it, it would be different hours, but the minutes would have been the same. But we don't have that luxury anymore. So, if you're going to have a calendar, what do you do? You use the signal which is always constant. That is the sun being directly over the equator. That is something that is constant. It is a specific moment in time that can be determined, can be calculated ahead and determined that it always will be. When there will be equal time never happens. It may be closer a day or two or three before or after the equinox, but it will not be perfect. So if you're going to have a, an actual signal, you've got to determine when that sun goes over the equator. And that will be the same no matter where you are on the Earth. So it is a specific moment in time.
And that is the definition of the equinox that we must therefore go by. Otherwise, we will never have anything equal, and there's no such thing as an equinox. It is never equal everywhere. But the sun going over the equator is an instant in time. So that should help clarify that you have to wait for that signal to occur. First signal that you can declare the new year is the equinox. All right, we had a new moon, I think it was about 18 hours before the actual equinox this spring. Uh, that was the closest one to the equinox to what it was before. But how can you put the minute hand before the hour hand? That'll mess a clock up for sure. No, you've got to wait for the first signal, equinox. And this year, the second signal, the new moon, came almost a month after the equinox. But that is the order you have to use in order to be sure that the feasts always fall in the right season. So we had to wait a month, almost a month. New moon just before the equinox, then the equinox, all right? First signal for new year, equinox. I've got to wait for the next new moon. That puts us a month later than most everybody else this year. So once we determined that, had the equinox, then we had the new moon. Well, when's the new moon? There's a lot of confusion on that. Is it first crescent? Is it when the moon first becomes dark? Let me line up three things here on this desk. Here's a glass. Here's another glass. And here's my watch, which I happen to have off. Now, let's say that this upper glass up here represents the moon. No, wait. I guess it would be the earth. And this one down here represents the sun. Now, the conjunction is when the moon intersects the path of the earth and the sun. Now, originally that created an eclipse every 30 days because they were on the same plane. They're not anymore. Now, as the moon moves in there in between, there's a point at which it becomes dark. But it's still not in perfect alignment with the other two heavenly bodies. Now, some people say the new moon occurs when the moon first goes dark. That means it's not completely lined up. It's already dark, but it hasn't lined up specifically in conjunction yet. So it's sitting over to the side a little bit when it first gets dark. Now, if you wait for first crescent, it moves from first dark to alignment to past alignment before you can see the first crescent. Now, some keep it before it ever lines up, some people keep it when it lines up, and some people keep the first crescent after it's already moved out of alignment, sometimes by a day or two, depending on where you are on the earth. I ask you, what is a signal? Is it before there's an alignment, when there's a triangle to the left here, or is it after when there's a triangle to the right, or is a signal when it's lined up? I think that should be quite simple. A signal is something that has to be lined up. Just like the sun has to line up over the equator, that's the signal of the equinox. When the earth, sun, and moon are in a line, that is the conjunction. That is a signal. Now the logic has been used that while sundown begins the new day, Therefore, when the moon first goes dark, that begins the new month. They're not the same. 
They're not the same at all. You see, the sundown is a constant process. It never ends. It goes round and round the earth. never stops. The earth keeps spinning. Sundown is always there. It's always moving. never stops. Well, where you happen to be when it goes down is a day to you, a beginning of a day. But that does not carry through with the new moon because that has to be a lineup, a signal. And it is an instant in time. If you, if you do, when it gets dark, it'll get different, dark at different times around the earth. So we, can't all, we wouldn't all be, if we determine that, on the same day. If you wait till first crescent, it will be observed differently in Jerusalem than it is in Joplin, just the way that it is. So you'd have confusion with some people keeping Passover one day, some keeping it another day. So the signal has to be when it lines up. That is a specific moment in time that can be determined. So you have a specific instant that applies to all mankind around the earth, wherever they happen to be, just like you have a specific instance with the equinox. Does that make sense? It has to be a moment that we can all understand. It was that way originally. Equinox, uh, new moon, sundown came at the same instant every 30 days at sundown. It's that simple. We've got to get as near that as we can. So we have to have the equinox as the first signal, got to have the new moon, then sundown. So if I want to know how to start the calendar and how to run it, it's very simple. In the spring, you wait for the spring equinox, a moment in time. You take the first new moon after that so that the signals stay in the proper order. First new moon, conjunction, actual lining up of the bodies. Then you wait for sundown so you can have the first day of the first month of the new year. It's that simple. It isn't a perfect cycle. And because of the, of the 365 and a quarter, you will have a 13th month once in a while, but it will declare itself. Because if you always consistently take the first new moon after the equinox, you will automatically have a 13 month, depending on heavenly cycles. You will never have to declare it artificially like the Jews do. Now, they also, the Jews, postpone. If they don't like the day of the week, it happens to hit. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to have a preparation day before each holy day. But if it happens to fall on a Friday, they don't like it. And especially if it happens to fall when you're starting a fast, day of atonement. They really don't like that, so they postpone. Well, how can you postpone something that's declared in the heavens? How do you postpone that? It's like my watch. It just turns automatically. God said it. He said it would always be there. It just keeps turning. It never stops. So what am I trying to do if I postpone it a day or two? I'm artificially setting when the new moon occurred. I'm artific artificially setting the month. How do you artificially set something that's determined by the equinox, the new moon, and sunset? That's what's being done. The Jews basically understand the cycle of the, of the heavens. They just don't follow it. That's the problem. They don't recognize the signals, so they use the wrong uh, new moon sometimes, the one nearest, not the one after. Signals have to come in order. And if they don't like the day of the week, they simply postpone it a day or two. 
by their rules, but those aren't Bible rules. If I were to do that with my watch, I'd get very confused, wouldn't I? I don't like the day that this day hits, I'm just going to turn my watch forward a day or two. <laughs> that doesn't work. You've you got to do it the way God put it there. And even if he changed it and made it more difficult, you still have to go by as close to his original intent as you can get. And that leaves one area, and that is sundown. It always moves. Let me explain one to you that will probably blow your mind if you haven't thought about it before. Now, I'm here on the earth, and I come sundown on Friday. I say, okay, it's Sabbath. And I keep the Sabbath until the following sundown, right? That takes me how long? 24 hours. Well, you may have a, because of the way the cycle changes, it may change by a day or two, but essentially 24 hours. I mean by a minute or two. Sunset changes every day or every day or two. But essentially it's 24 hours. Sunset to sunset. Now, that's my perspective living here in this spot on earth. What about God's perspective? How long does the Sabbath last? The Sabbath lasts 24 hours? No. The Sabbath lasts 48 hours. You realize that? If you're God in heaven, let's say the Sabbath begins, just for logic, in Jerusalem at sundown. All right, as that sunset moves on around the earth, it finally gets to Europe, and then it finally gets to America, and then it finally gets to Western America. And each one of those people, all those people in those different locations begin Sabbath as that sundown comes to them. Well, how long does it take for the Sabbath to actually start on a worldwide basis? From Jerusalem, goes minute by minute around the earth. So the people, as it comes around, let's say in Iraq, which is east of Jerusalem, begin the Sabbath almost 24 hours after it began in Jerusalem. So when Jerusalem's Sabbath's ending, Iraq's is just beginning. Follow? So from the time 24 hours of starting the Sabbath occurs, then you also have to have 24 more hours of ending the Sabbath. So I always thought of the Sabbath only lasting 24. 24 hours, but from God's perspective, it lasts 48. From the time it begins on one side of the earth till it ends later on. So that creates a problem. The, the, the clock never keep, quits turning. So when do you keep, uh, or when do you start the Sabbath? All right, let's, let's think about that. The, they, they start the days on the international dateline today. And we basically follow that, otherwise there'd be total confusion around the earth. Uh, but was God's perspective the South Pacific when he created the heavens and the earth? What was his original intent? Uh, he, he created the earth from the perspective of Eden, didn't he? I mean, I mean, that was his focus. He's in heaven, here's the earth, Christ is creating it. His focus would have been the cradle of civilization where man began, the Garden of Eden. So that would, I think, if you're going to pick a spot, be it London or South Pacific or somewhere on earth, God's perspective was Jer Jerusalem, I would say. And he said he planted a garden eastward in Eden. Uh, I've always wondered east of what? <laughs> but probably east of Jerusalem. 
would, would be my thought on that. Probably not too far east of Jerusalem, because his, that was his focus. So, if we're going to determine what day to keep the holy days, and we all want to keep them on the same day around the earth, we could use Jerusalem as the focal point of creation. That's when he began day and night. Well, if that's where he began day and night, is that when we should then say, let's begin for trying to determine the first day of the first month? Uh, sundown keeps moving, never stops. So maybe we should go to Jerusalem, determine where that is, and calculate it from there. So we get three signals. We get equinox, new moon, sundown at Jerusalem, and then as that sundown comes on around the earth to us, we would begin the first day of the first month of the new year. It's actually fairly simple in application if you go back to God's original intent. Confusing because it's not divisible by anything. Now, I only have limited time here, so let's move on to another thought here. What about that 360-day year? When did it... What's, what's the future? That's, that's the point I'm trying to get to. I had that here in my notes somewhere. Uh, what did I do with it? I don't see it. I guess it doesn't really matter too much. I think I know what scriptures I wanted to go to. Maybe I got these mixed up here. I thought I had it written right over there. All right. Here's the key. We know about the Great Tribulation, right? Uh, let's go first of all to Daniel 12. See if I can remember all these scriptures without finding them here in the notes. Daniel 12 is a good place to start. Uh, let's start in verse 7. I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven, and swore by him that lives forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and a half. Uh, that has been determined to mean three and a half years. So these events are going to be three and a half years long be finished. Then he goes down to the daily sacrifice and the abomination talks about uh, 1290 days and 1335. They're not germane to what I'm trying to say here. The time times and half a time are the key. If you go back to Daniel 7 verse 25 and speaking of uh, the horn that is going to persecute the church, he shall speak great words against the Most High, shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time, or three and a half years again. Now, it says they'll think to change times. Back in Daniel, I believe it's 2, verse 21. Speaking of God here, it says, And he, God, changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Now, that gives allowance for what I'm talking about here. God set it up one way. Only he can change times and seasons because only he can change the heavenly bodies. And it appears from Genesis 7 and 8 there 
that indeed, from the way he set it up, and it was very good in Genesis to the time he changed it, probably in the days of Hezekiah, it went from very good to really confusing. God changed it by changing the heavens. Now, man's going to think to change it, but he can't. Now, he can tell you, you will keep this day or you will keep this time, and we're going to change the calendar, but he can't change the heavens. God can, and I submit that God has. Now, we've considered one period of time here, and that is three and a half years of tribulation. I won't take time to prove that that's all that this is talking about. That's a different study. <coughs> but let's go back to Revelation now. Chapter 11. <coughs> Revelation 11. I don't know what's back here. <coughs> now, he's talking here about the time when the two witnesses start to work with the church. And he tells them to leave out the court of the Gentiles, and their uh, prophecy lasts how long? Let's see, first of all, what he says here. Leave the, temp, uh, leave the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not. For it is given to the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot 42 months. So here Daniel refers to this same period of time as three and a half years. Here it's referred to as 42 months. Now, let's see, where is it? I need to find that, I guess. There's, a, there's another place where it refers to it as 1,260 days. Now as I sit here, pardon? Verse 3. Oh, yeah. Verse 3, And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy 1,200 threescore days. So it's speaking at the same time, 42 months, that the Gentiles would trample it down, and that same period of time, 1260 days, the witnesses will preach to the world. So what do we have here? We have three and a half years, 42 months, and 1260 days. Now I wondered over the years, why did God do that? Why didn't he just always say 1260 or three and a half or 42? There's a very good reason for that. And that is because unless you have a 360-day year, there is simply no mathematical way in which you can have three and a half years, 42 months, and 1,260 days. Got to have a 30-day month to do that. Can't happen any other way. So what that tells me is this. God created a very good heaven and earth with a perfect clock of 360 days in Genesis. And then because of sin, he distorted it and created all kinds of problems for us because of our sins. And now, at the end of the age, he is, to show his glory, going to change it back to a 360-day year in order to fulfill these prophecies. It has to be. I see no other way that you can have three, these three periods of times be equal without a 360-day year. So God is going to put the, sec the heavenly cycle back in order at least by the first day of the Great Tribulation. It might happen before, but it has to happen for these prophecies to be fulfilled at least by that first day. So, simple calendar solution right there. Then there'll be no question. See, God is going to make bare his holy arm here at the end. 
He is going to prove, as we've been seeing in Ezekiel, to all the world that God is God. He's going to do it by some dramatic things he does in the heavens and on the earth. He's going to do it by human witnesses that he uses to show and preach it. And he's going to do it this way as well. Then with a perfect calendar, the Jews will have to quit postponing. They will have to use the equinox, the new moon, and sundown, which will occur at the exact same moment every spring. They'll have to keep the feast in the proper season because of the fall equinox and so on. And all the churches, if they're going to obey God, will have to give up their calendars and us, ours, or it's not ours, it's the heavenly calendar, God's calendar in the heavens, not the Bible, it's in the heavens. We'll have to give that up and go back to a perfect calendar. Boo-hoo. Won't that be awful? <laughs> but you see, there's the history of the calendar. There's the prophecy of the future calendar. And what we're left with in the meantime is a mess. And we, the only thing we can possibly do is try to get back as close to God's original intent as possible. And that includes the three signals, equinox, new moon, and sundown. And follow those three signals, which were given simultaneously in the past and will be given simultaneously in the future. Now they're not. So we cannot keep, nobody can keep all of God's holy days at the exact times he originally intended. All we can do with what we are faced with today is get as close to that as possible. So we still have to pay attention to those signals even though they're not given at the same time. Uh, what else do you have to go by other than the signals that are in the heavens? The heavenly clock is still up there. It hasn't moved, but it has been changed. And all we can do is get that close. We can't get any closer. What else are you going to do? You can't devise your own. It's still up there. It's just now it's 365 and a quarter and you have a, month, a moon that comes every 29 or 30 days. So it's not equal. And therefore you have a 13 month year at times because it has to adjust itself. But if you always use the signal right, the new moon after the uh, spring equinox, the Feast of Tabernacles will always come in the right season, therefore fulfilling Exodus 34:22, after the Tekophon, or the change of the season. And that's as close as we can get, I submit to you. If anybody can show me a way to get closer, fine. But uh, that essentially is the heavenly calendar. Three signals in the heavens that will determine the seasons, the months, the days, and the years as Genesis 1.14 clearly tells us we have to do. It's not barley on earth. <laughs> uh, that was only given to show that that was the time of year when it would begin. Same time they came out of Egypt was the same time barley ripens in the Holy Land in the spring. But the clock clearly is in the heavens. Barley doesn't have anything to do with it except to show you what, which equinox, what time of the year it is to begin. So the Jews have come, come up with a different idea, haven't they? They start a new year in the fall at Feast of Trumpets, and then they start another year in the spring. How do you have two? 
Well, they got their agriculture and their civil. That's confusing. Why not just do it like God said? Have one calendar, one New Year's, not two. Because a year is the time of the earth goes around the sun. That's all there is to it. I don't, let's see, I don't know how much time I got left on that tape. Not very much, I bet. Uh, there's another issue. I've got six minutes. Uh, there is another issue. Maybe I just don't have time to get it in, into it today. Or maybe I, maybe here just briefly. Uh, people use Romans 3.1. I'll go there right quickly. To say that the Jews have control. This, this issue needs to be settled. What advantage then has the Jew, Romans 3.1, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God, the sayings of God. That's what the oracles were. Now, there's two words used here. Uh, no, there's only one word. Uh, logos is God's way of saying the word or the entire word. Christ was the Logos. The word that Paul used here is not logos. It is logion. The analogy being, let's say you have a loaf of bread and you have a slice of bread. Logos would be the loaf. Logion would be the slice. Now Paul did not say here that the Jews had every word of God because obviously they didn't. They had the, New Te the Old Testament. They would not obey God. God did not let them record the New Testament. They did not accept Christ. He shut them away from that. So they only had the slice. They didn't have the whole loaf or the whole word of God. It came Old Testament, New Testament. They also did not have the calendar because God originated it in Eden. It's not something he whispered to Moses. Moses didn't need to calculate the calendar. In Moses' day before Hezekiah, he had a, 30, a perfect 360-day year, perfect 30-day months was nothing to calculate, didn't need a holy or sacred calendar that the Jews have today. Now what did Paul have to say about the Jews in the rest of this chapter? He called them almost everything Christ called them in Matthew 21 and 23. Now in Matthew 21, I'll turn to this very briefly here, Matthew 21, there's a statement of authority given. He's talking here about a householder and... They killed all of his representatives, and they finally killed the son. And the householder finally said in verse 41, I will, he will let out his vineyard to other husbandmen, put it in someone else's charge, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Okay? He's taking authority away from the Jews and giving it to someone else. We'll see. Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? They accepted Abraham, but they wouldn't accept Christ. He became the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous. And it is marvelous in our eyes, question. Therefore say I to you, he's addressing the leaders of the Jews here, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a people or a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. He said, I'm taking this away from you. And when the chief priests, verse 45, and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spoke of them. I'm taking the kingdom of God away from you. I'm giving it to someone else. Let's tie in one more scripture quickly. Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17. Let's see who has charge now. 
Verse 16 of Colossians 2. Let no man therefore judge you in food or drink, respect of a holy day or of the new moon, which is what you use for the calendar, or of the Sabbaths, 